right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, uh, what, whatever time you're listening in, and wherever you're listening in from. This is Reinventing African Systems with me, HTLA, and we are back here with uh, the fifth episode. Ah, it's going straight, it's going straight, I know. Uh, funny how it's going so fast, by the way. We just started and boom. Now we are in the fifth episode. Anyway, thank you all for listening in and uh, thank you all for the increasing number because each and every episode gets increasing numbers. I know it's it's now reaching out to a lot of people. It's uh, And it's great. It's really great. It's the whole purpose of this. It's the whole reason why we're doing this raise the voice, increase um, the voice, sensitize as many as possible. It's all the voice. And uh, in today's episode, uh, we'll talk. We'll talk. You people will just see what we'll talk about. I don't feel like introducing whatever we we'll have to talk about today. Anyway, Africa, 54 sovereign states, 54 votes in the World General Assembly, 1.3 billion people. 18% of the world's population, the world's richest island, and the black continent. That's how I'll introduce today. Africa. We have had a lot of problems, really, over the years. Mm, what I should say, imperfections, and these imperfections have been having quite different effects on uh, our lives, on our economies, on our governments, on our politics on almost everything. So <coughs> it's difficult really because every continent has these problems. Uh, it's just that in most cases in Africa, when we get these problems, it is uh, it is quite, you know, brutalizing. They have dangerous effects, quite dangerous effects on our economy. And whether that is, um, whether that's, uh, that's, our problem or whether that's uh, the influence of other forces forces will always talk about on this podcast and forces will one by one tackle each and every episode on each and every episode whether that's whether our faults uh, and our flaws and our imperfections are really causing this harm or whether they are the reason why we are not developing it's always something that we are here to talk about. And uh, I dare say it shouldn't be uh, the way it is because Africa can do better. Africa is going to do better. I believe in what Africa can do, especially Africa as whole. Nice. But of course we do have to talk about these forces. And today it has piqued my interest something quite, uh, it has been picking my interest for all these weeks, for all these years, and it's the reason why this uh, this year I decided to start I decided to start on um, uh, on this episode. I, I started to I decided to start on this podcast. It's the whole reason why I had to, because I felt I should raise some voice, I should speak to some of these things that we have in common because a lot of countries in Africa have a lot of things in common. We are, in as much as there are those which are developed and those which are still too poor, well, those which are developing and those which are struggling, 
struggling not to be poor and others are struggling to be so rich others are struggling to get positions and others are struggling to be on the world scene to be seen to be power to have power superpowers it's just a lot happening but they all have something in common african countries have a lot in common not to speak poverty not to mention wrangles political instabilities uh, uh, it's just a lot drawed mm-hmm. all these factors we all have them in common but anyway uh today we'll look at how uh we almost came to this re uh, should i say this generation in which we are in right now it's been it's been a road of over 200 years and uh, i dare not go back to 200 years of course i can't take you through that i'm sure all of you all are familiar with african history and we don't have to go through everything but yeah we do have to go through some of those key points that happened in the world history and that changed of course africa's future as we know it should i say africa's current future as it is right now because you see for example in 1918 1884 1884 and 1885 uh you all remember those those two years there is an event that was happening in those two years an event that changed africa forever an event that gave us a history that we will never forget never ever again and um an event that changed and will continue to change our lives until the end of time if I, if, if I should say because it's changed and it reshaped africa as we as we knew it or as our ancestors knew it and now here we are still living in the consequences of that event and of course we are talking about none other than the berlin conference the Berlin Conference. If you're not familiar with this, uh, it is a meeting that all European countries with power gathered, on which they gathered and uh, in Berlin, in Germany, gathered and decided, magnanimously of course, and at their very uh, keen, or should I say, conscientious and so humane interests, decided to colonize Africa scramble and partition at least everyone knows that and um taken into effect in 1885 european powers started pouring in africa because why you had no weapons you had no defense you had no what and whoever had defense of course they used you against each other used for example what happened in tanzania with the mirambo kingdoms and all those all those kingdoms which were so powerful they would use fellow fellow local you know natives to fight the kings send spies spies of course which were not white spies which were black pay you because at the end of the they used uh that sense of uh, human imperfection if i should call it because everyone at some point subdued a certain imperfection and they quite manipulated us with those and they used us against our forefathers and some of these things some of these things are still happening but if you don't notice well you can't notice them but they are still happening they are using some leaders in some countries against their ancestors against their people against their governments against their 
paying them or for example what's happening in DRC you know DRC is the the world's richest country that's undoubted and we all know that but it's one of the most politically instable countries in Africa and which explains the thing because you can see because statistics show that uh, the bottom rock of DRC is should I say infested or should I say invaded? No, let's, let's just say infested. It's infested with uh, riches which can make each and every single head, each and every single person in DRC a billionaire in dollars. That's how rich DRC is. But it will never be politically stable. Why? They are terrorists. Why? They want power. Why? They are being manipulated. How? they are being given guns to kill their own people. So it's it's really a lot happening, and I shouldn't want to go there so deep, but we all see what is happening around. Anyway, in 1884-1885, Europe sits down and, uh, of course, resolves to divide uh, Africa into partitions. Partitions of exploitation, partitions of uh, resources, partitions of slaves, human slaves, partitions of labor, forced or otherwise, and of course, it was forced. And these slaves, of course, who would help process uh, the goods that they were going to start stealing from Africa, take them to industries. And it actually marked the second or the first. Some countries were experiencing their first industrialized industrial era, industrial generation. So these were the goods that uh, that ignited development in Europe. These were the goods that ignited development in Europe, in the United States, in um, in uh, Far East. Uh, not Far East, because by then Far East was... Asia was also struggling, because apparently Asia also had too much oil. They wouldn't let it go like that. But that's basically what happened in the 1884-1885 Berlin Conference, uh, an event that, of course, changed the world as we know it, in particular Africa. So, but you see, all these things have been happening, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite, it hurts. In most cases, I'm so familiar with African writers. I've been uh, reading their novels, reading books, reading plays, reading all their sarcasms and, and you know, ironies and, uh, and uh, you know, their books, their, their inventions or their stories about what they talk about, uh, colonialism, uh, about a lot of things, a lot of other things. And, of course, you see, the initially existing problem with... Uh, African writers, and of course, which is in most cases, which is, uh, is still currently the problem, I think to me is the fact that uh, African writers and novelists I have seen, they, they, they beat around the bush. They tend to beat around the bush. In a flow of educating and informi- informing uh, 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 a population, you see, for transformation, if the aim is to populate, to inform, educate, sensitize the population, local as Africa, as Africa's population is, and so native as they are, some populations so cultural and so customary bound like they are, in that process, I think the last things you need to write for them are paradoxes and ridicules and sarcasms. I, just, just, tell them what is 
tell them what is, tell them what happened, tell them what is happening, tell them what will happen, tell them why it will happen, and show them the signs that are going to actually spike these changes in the future, negative changes and positive changes. Or I should say negative changes in as so, uh, in as, so as uh, our current situations are concerned. Tell them, just tell them what is and then leave the rest to the population. I, I, I feel like that is what has been missing in Africa's writing for all these years. Because you see, you don't, it's just a lot. It's just a lot happening. It's just a lot happening that when we keep our population, our own population, we are writers, we are inventing, uh, not we are inventing, not that we are inventing, we are actually informing and sensitizing our populations, showing them what happened, what is happening, and how it is happening, and how it is going to affect our futures. But using paradoxes and sarcasms, and I don't find it so proper. In as much as it is good, we laugh and make fun about what the whites did, we... Uh, it almost goes like without saying at the end of the day, we forget what they took us through and what implication it has. It has had on our lives. It has changed our lives forever. And I think it would be better off if we showed people what happened, if colonialization, if colonialism happened, what implications it had, how people died, how blacks were exported, on chains, how we were treated, how we were exploited, how our resources and our minerals and our riches, our wealth was stolen, how we were degraded, how we were exploited. I feel like it should be shown clearly, spoken without fear of contradiction or fear of whatever it has to be that we are usually scared about and which is why of course I also ventured in the same era in the same spree of writing these books because I want to show people not just speak to but I want to show people those who can write maybe those who can those who can read and those who cannot listen to this podcast show people what has been happening what is happening and what implications it will have on on our lives if we don't do anything about it because you see these things are happening over and over and over and over again and it's it's undoubted that the same way things were happening in the 19th century it's the same way they are still happening right now before we were colonized this is how it started and then our populations and leaders and presidents seems to be seem to be so relaxed about it. I, I I just find it so you know so hard to deal with. I mean, I think we should do better than this. Writers, poets, whatever you have to do, we understand sarcasm is funny, ironies are good, they are fun, pawns and, uh, you know, cliches, all those, you know, techniques that you employ while you're writing. At the end of the day, I'm only appealing to you as a person who has read and has tried to analyze what we are doing, that we usually tend to leave our population in the dark. In as much as a few of the population still laugh about these stories, the main important reason why these stories are existing and why you are writing these stories is not because you want people to laugh, really. Well, even if you wanted them to, I feel like this is not the time for comedy. Hit straight to the points, show people what is happening. 
and of course this is not to limit what people are writing from or from what perspectives they are writing or what techniques they are right they are employing in their works it's really there is really such a such a thing as a novel's a novel's justice you know a writer has the capacity and beholds the power to wield his book wield his poem the way he wants to or she wants to that's really your choice but really if you are to write and educate let us try to be more direct let us try to show what people are missing let us try to show people what is happening what implication is to have on our lives because you see <laughs> there are just a lot of things happening really i i, I if we are to talk about this we can talk about it the whole day and we don't finish mm? but i feel like our we have these tools and you know weapons that our forefathers who were colonized did not have they didn't have social media they didn't have uh podcast streaming services they didn't have publishing companies to publish novels and stories that were happening around they didn't have radios television the press was not there so i feel like we are better off and we stand a chance to stop everything that is about to happen and i say this without fear of contradiction we have a chance to stop what things are about to happen these things that are about to happen I don't doubt it. I don't. But I believe we have and we possess the power to stop these things. Uh for example, there has been a, and I think we have been left in a situation where we because there are a lot of things happening and I have a feeling we have been left in a, in a situation where you know like we we have uh, we have we have been left to wonder about in our own lands our own rich lands you know the same way you would tell your son look this this land that i'm giving you is uh, is barren it has never been used before but i don't think you're going to ever get anything productive from it if you plant it and then that son of yours uh sits down and is like oh father father i think father is right i might not get it but i think we can do better than that one africa is our land no one gave it back to us it originally belonged to us so there's nothing like they gave it to us and because this is our land mm-hmm. this is our land land of our ancestors land of our forefathers and land in which our forefathers made mistakes that we the grandchildren and the great grandchildren are not going to repeat because i repeat we have the tools the weapons to fight colonialism again it should never happen again and we have the capacity to stop it we have seen it coming and we can stop it because you see for example about the same issue there has been like a proposition in uganda uh the country seems to be changing its democracy government to you know we are shifting to federalism uh they seem to be the proposition that's been brought to the parliament in the previous month it uh shifts the mode of government to a senate government which we have not had before in Uganda so i think from the way from the reactions i saw from people and i sh- i should i should of course respect that these reactions are hard drawn 
and they are personally analyzed by all those people who give them but i think at the end of the day we are forgetting that the purpose of these you know shifts changes is to check whether if you're using one road you know if you're driving in a certain lane and then there are holes all over there is that need to shift and uh, you know join the other lane yeah join the other lane and then see what is there check what you have been missing or check whether you can find a smooth you know whether you can have a smooth drive in that lane so i think that's really what sh- what usually happens when change is about to come and when these governments are actually changing things of course not to mention that they are the same ways in which governments are become dictatorships uh so of course everything has to be respected in that manner but at the end of the day is uh, the reactions that we are putting out they are so bold they are so negative i think we should also sit and consider the positive implications that these things can have uh on our governments because you see a federal government federal governments they are not something new to the world one of the greatest countries in the world are using the same governments mode of governments kenya our neighbor is using the same mode of governments and uh, east africa i think to, of course to be whole is also targeting the same and which explains why the shift is happening in, in uganda so i think it's <laughs> It's just really a lot. Uh, our mindsets seem to be shifted to uh, a certain color in which we determine everything that the government does as negative. And I think it's a dangerous one. And I think it works for a certain class of people, especially those who want to colonize you. Whenever you don't trust your leaders, you don't trust. And I'm not saying you should trust leaders who are not worth your trust. But it kind of works for the other world when you're all fighting rangos here and there in that process you can easily be manipulated you can easily accept bribes to kill your own presidents you can easily accept guns to kill your own people blast your own people that's what usually because and and i think we should put in mind that it is important of course it is important to note that um the ideologies and ways of governments and other ways of organizing societies and uh they 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 are neither neither good or bad because you see china uses capitalism uh, we shouldn't get deep into that i'm telling you china uses capitalism united states uses federalism uk uses you know its own mode of government the most important thing at the end of the day should be are people happy is the system working for people because the problem is usually not the systems they are neither they are neither good nor bad it is true but it is the real world it is the real world implementation and uh, uh, results from the real world difficulties that cause reactions and nations of uh, or should they say classes of certain people uh, of for example one side of a government to view these doctrines and modes of government on another side with suspicion because if the opposition is saying this is wrong this is an aim 
of the government to do this and do this and do this. Imagine you are the opposition and you had power in the next five years. Would you change back the government to what it used to be or would you go continue using it? And then at the end of the day, the question would be, would it then be in your favor because you would be the governing party? So it, it, it is not really the modes of government which are the problem. The problem is the implementation of these modes of governments. Because, so at the end of the day, it is not. Uh, it is. It is not that. You know, it is not that bad to have such changes, and so it is only natural that this is happening, the way it is happening. The important thing to note, uh, however, is, uh, I think, the method of governing. Of course, like I said, usually isn't the problem, mm-hmm. but the country's leaders' implementation of that method, playing too much politics. And, of course, in most cases, forgetting people. That's where usually the problem comes from. But the, the problem isn't the mode of government used. So I think if we are changing for the better, uh, I, I find it hard to believe uh, in the capacity of our leaders due to their associations. <laughs> for example, China. This is a country where... I want to think the, uh, the powers of influence that you know affect our presidents and affect our leadership patterns are the countries that they associate with. You know, if a deeper, if a smaller country is associating with a bigger country and it's, for example, lending it loans, giving it money, giving it support, financial and aid, financial aid and health aid and education aid, something like that. In most cases, it has power. It has uh, a certain amount of power in uh, that country's politics because it knows if it if its decisions aren't considered the smaller country knows that it might be left out on this support so for example china china's association with african countries uganda and kenya to be specific and other countries of course uh, uh, you see that now like china uh, this is a country where such results of terms like democracy revolt revolt revolution they are blocked when you're using a search engine in China, you don't search democracy or revolt, revolution, and yet then you get any results, such results. Or when you search of narratives on historical events in China, like the Cultural Revolution in the 1970s, and then the Square Massacre, I think, in the 1970s, of course, where governments were, where the government of China did what it did, and I don't want to go deep in that. I'm only saying those such results, such things are unpublished and they are controlled by the government, sold by the government. If you are writing a book upon any of those events, you're likely to be put in those detention centers where I don't want us to go. And uh, of course, Censorship is everywhere in China. So I, I, such a country has such a big influence on your country. You expect things to be... Uh, we all know what is happening. Anyway, so for example, China China constructed uh, the AU, uh, African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa, for free. Yeah, I think it was year 2012 something like that. I will do some more research. But I think it was year 2012 or 2011 or 13, around there. So China said it is a gift uh, until, of course, five years later when tracking bags and back doors were discovered and removed in server rooms and computers. It's <laughs> it is a clear goal 
that such a country wants influence, too much influence in Africa. Otherwise, why wouldn't they? Because if its goals are purely profit, and of course they are purely, you know, human, you know, human support and aid, financial aid, international aid, why would China spy and track and record conversations on of, of African presidents in the continent's biggest meeting, or should I say, in the continent's house of representatives? Hmm? And it's not happening only there. There are very many countries building things, constructing things for free in Africa. And we are not saying it is bad. Just look out. Just be careful. Because all these things... Uh, China China built Cape Verde's parliament, national parliament. Can you imagine? And it's not just that. Because there are a lot of things happening around. It's not just Cape Verde. Imagine if they had to bug the headquarters of African Union. Then imagine a country where they build a national parliament. <laughs> I think you see where this is going. Uh, the Chinese government has built a lot of parliaments for about almost seven countries in Africa. All of these for free. For free. Free. No money. Nothing. It's just financial aid. We want to help this country grow. That's the claim. We will build you uh, a new headquarters. That's how they say. We will build you a parliament house. We will build you this road. We will build you this huge train system. Just don't pay us anything. Well, let me tell you something about this. There is definitely, and as we all know it, or as some of us might know it, there is no such a thing as gifts in international relationships. <laughs> Everything has strings attached. That's the more that's the most purest and the barest truth that ever exists. There's no such a thing as free gifts in international relationships. When they are doing something for you, they are expecting you to do something for them. If they are not telling you you're going to do something for them, they have already got that thing. Or they already know. They already have ways by which they are going to get it. Trust me. And of course, uh, a certain John Adams had to say, there are two ways of... Uh, and of course, I think this is like my first... This is like my favorite quote when I'm reading about these books sometimes. He said they are two ways to conquer and enslave a modern country. One of them is by a sword, and he had caught this. It a sword, of course, a nuclear warhead. Uh, one big nuclear warhead, a Tsar nuclear warhead, for example. And the other way is by dating them. Those are the only two ways you can colonize a modern country. And so we have to look out of what is happening in Africa. Big powers are constructing army bases in Africa. I don't know whether that's... There's no African country that has even ever thought about constructing an army base outside Africa. Because it is, it is not only unacceptable, it is also un unheard of. How do you start constructing, for example, Uganda? How do, you, how do you, Uganda, start constructing an army base in the United States or in China? What are you doing, exactly? Eh? 
what is happening what is your intention may you but these people are constructing bases landing armies from almost everywhere hmm? there are more than 10000 armies land armies land forces united states armies alone in africa china it has bases already in eritrea bases army bases big huge army bases and then uh there are countries where they are start they have started speaking mandarin they have started they have adopted other their education systems i don't know what for but i think if chinese weren't going to come in africa they wouldn't be teaching mandarin in africa and they shouldn't for example go ahead an extra mile or should should we say these countries are teaching mandarin because they are biggest number of tourists tourists are from china so they are expecting the students maybe who will be working in the tourism sector to be learning these things but you shouldn't make it comparisonly on an education system and even go ahead and put road signs in that same language that's too much that's beyond that's that, that, that's a preparation ahead there is something coming it means in one way or the other chinese citizens are going to be in those countries and you, we all know these countries they are there and these are things of course happening and we are putting ourselves uh, of course like behind so i i think what happened in sri lanka sets you know that when they took a port Sri Lanka's port they leased it for 99 years China is going to own that port and whatever goes through it for 99 years that's a century they just didn't want to say 100 years to scare the population 99 years why it simply just didn't pay a small amount of loan very small and this loan which the port itself would have generated in less than 10 years but it's, it's it it was taken so i think what happened there in sri lanka sets a dangerous precedent of what could be applied to almost all the nations in africa who have sunk themselves deep into the chinese loans and of course may not be able to pay them back i i don't know but it depends on how you see it but just that that's just that that's just happening also and we are piling these loans over and over and over and over and over and over again eventually such a loan uh owing such a loan to such a country of course it always has the implications one i already told you having such power among uh, on the on the political ground that country will influence you politically because it knows it owes you a lot you owe it a lot of money and they know you might not be able to pay so you want to keep good relationship with them so you in the sense of keeping good relationship with them always accept what they are suggesting that you should do in that country that's already colonialism and that's what's happening so we we have had it quite hard and rough for all these years under these systems that we have had in africa i eagerly embrace change i honestly eagerly embrace change and i believe Of course I believe in the capacity of East Africa as whole and of course I also believe in the capacity of Africa let's not forget to mention how each and every African president who comes out to say Africa should be one country should get should get together set systems that are alike uh, remove restrictions on fellow countries 
and then become a united nation. All these presidents don't end well. We won't speak their names because their names have been spoiled to us so bad that if I speak one of their names, you'll say I'm just a, an African exaggerated nationalist. Uh, and which, of course, is okay. It is also okay. There is nothing like too much love on your country. That shit is good. And especially when you're, of course, aiming at increasing, uh, uh, if you're aiming at, you know, developing your country as, uh, you know, for the better. So I think I believe in the capacity of East Africa. I believe in the capacity of Africa as whole. So if these new systems, for example, the new system in Uganda, the proposed new system of governments, of governance, if these new systems will change things for for any better, any better, I I don't see why I, I don't see why we don't give it a try, you know, because after all, like they say, what might be right what might be right for one stage in the development of an economy may not be right for, for another stage. Maybe in the process of recovering from colonization, these systems that we have were so crucial. They had to give, power, give people power, empower them, encourage them, and which of course cannot stop because that's always the backbone of every economy. People knowing that they are safe, people knowing that their tax is going is being used properly, of course, their road that their roads are being constructed on their money, not loans, which would of course eventually have those roads back. So I think that's what empowers people. But if such systems were, you know, aiming people to do, you know, to grow this, you know, huge uh huge love, nationalism, patriotism, and it has happened. Well, I think this is about to change. It, it, is, it is about time we change it. Because what was right for that development stage might not be right for the stage of development to come. Because we are running out of time. We are running out of time. And I think the best thing to do right now would be changing how things are working. In most cases, you confuse enemies when you shift colors like a chameleon. So Africa should shift colors like a chameleon. Tell me what you think, of course, uh, in the email below. Um, you can leave me a voice note if you're using Spotify or Anchor. And uh, you can listen in from whichever platform you're using. And I'll be glad to have you on the next one. See you, uh, or should I say hear from you, on the sixth episode today that's how we finished it and bless african systems with me htla ciao